0: Hello, and welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order, discuss them, and rank them from best to worst. I'm Ben. I'm Sarah. How are you doing today, Sarah?
1: Been battling a bit of a migraine. Uh, with the weather changes. So that's great. And today's better? But the last couple of days have been pretty awful.
0: It's been a pretty rough weekend. One of our favorite websites closed down. The news has been generally awful. I mean it's been generally awful like all calendar year, but...
1: One of my friend's cat died. Yeah. Uh, that hit me harder than I thought it would. Mm-hmm. I had never met this cat but I felt like I had a special bond with it, thanks to Instagram.
0: <laughs> Strange the way that social media brings us together. Yeah. We've got another friend in the hospital. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, been, a rough, it's been a rough couple days.
1: Yeah, but I'm sure another German Expressionist horror film will cheer us right up.
0: <laughs> yes, uh, Expressionism. It's the art form that's all about the power of togetherness and friendship.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That's what my notes say.
0: What do your notes say about German Expressionism, Sarah?
1: <laughs> yeah, I can give a bit of a recap. Uh, for more in-depth talk about German Expressionism and what led to it, you can check out episode four, where we reviewed Eerie Tales, and episode five, where we reviewed The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, but this is kind of the the Cole's notes.
0: Cliff notes?
1: Sparks notes? Oh, dear. Uh the summarized version of it all um german expressionism as an art form really focuses on the inner subjective reality of the main character externalized into uh the setting whether that's mise-en-scène with film or theater i i enjoyed our our joke during one of those previous episodes where ben you asked if we would ever see an expressionist painting or something about like being really in love. Mm. Uh, and I had to say no, uh, at least with German Expressionism, because it focuses on darker emotions, uh, things like madness, betrayal. Specifically, the insanity of human behavior, given that post-World War I Germany was not that good of a place. And there's been a lot of academic writings tying German Expressionism to post-traumatic war syndrome. But other than that, the philosophy behind it is very anti-authority. Really puts the individual, specifically the individual's emotions and subjectivity, right in the forefront, and it's really characterized just by a lot of contrast, jagged angles, kind of just a, a nightmarish feeling.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, actually, what film are we watching? I. What right. Is it?
0: So this uh, this week we we're watching a film called *Genuina: The Tragedy*. Eines Setzamen houses. It's another German film. That title translates to Genuine, The Tragedy of a Strange House. Ah. It's the follow-up to Dr. Caligari.
1: Like a direct sequel? Not a
0: direct sequel, but production-wise, it's a follow-up. It came out later that same year, in 1920. It's the same director, uh, Robert Wiener. It's the same producers, Rudolf Meinert and Eric Palmer. It's the same studio, yeah. Decla, uh, the writer, Karl Meyer, was one of the two writers of Dr. Caligari, uh, so it's, it's very much their follow-up to Caligari. However, the set design uh, is not done by the same people who did Caligari. It's now done, this film set design was done by Cesar Klein, who was an expressionist painter oh. uh, from the what's called the November Group which was a group of socialist radical revolutionary painters who were allied with the German Revolution.
1: Interesting. I've never heard of these people.
0: Yeah, so he was... uh, The the group was less of like an artistic movement than it was a political movement, but he was the expressionist painter of the group.
1: Okay, cool.
0: Yeah, so this was their attempt to follow up on Caligari and kind of produce another film in that vein, because Caligari had been very, very successful. And back in the 20s, you could produce a movie, have it come out, have it be a hit, and then go into production on its sequel and have that sequel, well, sequel's not the right word, but like follow-up, come out later the same year. (laughs) uh, As opposed to waiting years between, you know, movie production cycles.
1: What's the usual production cycle for movies in today's?
0: Oh, like your Hollywood blockbuster, it's usually like three years. If you're looking at, you know, how often does a...
1: Fest and the Furious movie.
0: Right, or a James Bond movie or something like that. It's usually a three-year cycle. Okay. Yeah. Now, this film doesn't... The one thing it doesn't have from Caligari is the cast. Uh, so it is a different cast, with one exception. Our lead actor, uh, the male lead, who is uh, Hans Heinrich von Twardowski. <laughs> uh, and he played Alan in Dr. Caligari.
1: Alan's the guy who died?
0: Yes. Um, oh,
1: spoilers.
0: <laughs> uh, and so he's the the male lead in this film. Okay. Uh, in this film, the lead actress playing the role of Genuine, or Genuina, to use the German pronunciation, is Fern Andra, and she was uh, a very popular German actress in the 1910s, uh, but by the mid-twenties she had kind of fallen out of favor, So 1920, she was still fairly popular, but she wasn't, you know, number one anymore. Another actor who you might recognize is John Gatote, who played Scapinelli in Student of Prague back in 1913. Oh, cool. Uh, So he's in the role of Gaillard in this film. Uh, I don't know anything about this movie, by the way. I'm saying these character names and stuff, but, like, I've never seen this movie. I don't think you've ever seen this movie. No. Okay.
1: It's a silent film though. Yeah. So, regardless of seeing the movie or not, your pronunciations are a guess at best.
0: Sure, sure. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, so I don't I don't really know much about the story or the plot of this movie, which might work against us. So, this film originally ran 88 minutes long. Unfortunately, the full version, which was restored in 1996, can only be seen at the Munich Film Museum. Oh. And has not gotten a home video release.
1: Do you happen to know why the Munich Museum hasn't done a home release of this restored version?
0: I'm not sure. I do know that, like, sometimes for museums like that, it's in their best interest to keep certain prints as being exclusive to them. So I know that, like, think of, like, a, an academic library and its collection of manuscripts, for example. You know, they want you to come and visit the library and take it out and and this sort of thing. And for films that don't have a very high amount of...
1: Commercial appeal?
0: Thank you. Yeah, exactly. It's perhaps not in their best interest to print a, a disc of it, uh, like they did with Student of Prague, which also like isn't available in stores you have to order it direct from them but in this case like this restoration is just a print at the museum archives.
1: Okay I guess that means that a trip to Germany is in our future.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The version we'll be seeing is the version that was distributed in America the U.S. version of the film of which prints are still in circulation and that version runs 44 minutes long. So precisely half the length of the original German version. Why? Uh, presumably because after the success of Caligari, the German, or rather the American film industry was wary of like another German film kind of coming out and just wanted to present this as a B picture. Um, So cutting it down in length and then having it be the second feature on, say, like a double feature program, uh, as opposed to being like its own prestige release like Caligari had been.
1: Right. I remember you saying that uh, American reviews of Caligari were like, it's too good. Mm -hmm. It'll overwhelm our market. Yes. Hmm.
0: Now, the the American version, which was cut down to 44 minutes, has a different subtitle. So it's still called Genuine, but the subtitle is A Tale of a Vampire. And it's really important to note that this is not the supernatural vampire horror monster that we think of when we think of the word vampire. Okay. So this is vampire in the sense of the word, the the early 20th century use of that word, which was more common than the supernatural monster. If you're in the early 20th century... If you've gone back in time and someone talk, starts talking about vampires, they're talking about vamps, as in...
1: Sexy ladies?
0: Specifically, like, a femme fatale. Oh, okay. Like, a, like that's why the, the word vampire, or vamp, for short, was used to refer to them. It was the idea of, like, a dark, sexually independent woman who, like, hypnotizes you and takes you off to steal your purity and bad things happen. Right? A femme fatale. Okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, you got me all excited thinking that this would be our first vampire movie.
0: No, not really. Aww. No, just uh, just presumably like a sexy murder lady movie.
1: So then is the first supernatural vampire movie Dracula with Bela Lugosi?
0: Uh, Nosferatu.
1: Oh gosh, I don't know why I keep forgetting about Nosferatu. <laughs> okay.
0: This shorter version that we'll be seeing, it'll be interesting to see how well we understand what's going on. Because I guess the, the German version, the full-length version, was poorly received by German critics. Uh, Siegfried Krakauer, the uh, big Caligari fanboy critic, gave it a ton of criticism for having, like, an extremely hard-to-follow story. <laughs> and we'll So be...
1: cutting it in half is a great idea.
0: Yes, exactly. We
1: can only illuminate what was confusing before. Exactly. Cool. If we're going to be watching the American release, how are we watching it and how can others watch it?
0: So this version uh, is available as a special feature on Kino International's restored DVD release of Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Oh. Uh, So there isn't actually a on-its-own release of Genuine, but if you pick up the DVD release of Caligari, you get Genuine as a special feature. Because the film is in the public domain, like anything made before 1923, that version has been uploaded for free to YouTube, uh, and that is where we will be watching it.
1: Okay. Should we be calling it Genuine or the Gen... Genuina. Genuina.
0: Yeah, that would be the the German pronunciation.
1: We should probably stick to that. It's probably the name of the lady.
0: It is the name of the lady.
1: Ah, well then we should call her by her actual name.
0: (laughs) So, um, you're going to hear a brief musical interlude, and then we will be back to discuss Genuina, The Tragedy of a Strange House, aka Genuine Tale of a Vampire.
1: (laughs) See you on the other side. Welcome back to Scream Scene. We just watched Genuina, Tragedy of a Strange House, or as the U.S. version said, Tale of a Vampire. Ben, were you able to put together what this forty-five-minute version was, what the plot was? Barely. Yeah.
0: Like a, like a sketch, like a sketch of a thing. Okay. Do you wanna do you wanna try and talk it out together with me, and maybe we'll be able to fill each other in on what happened?
1: I thought it would be funny if we each said what we thought was the plot and see how similar they were.
0: Okay, so when the movie starts, it says that Percy is a painter, and every day he reads his favorite story. And we get this shot of this guy, like, reading a book, and he's got, like, a full, like, floor-to-ceiling painting of a woman on the wall behind him, and he falls asleep, and then the woman comes out of the painting. And then suddenly, cut to like deepest darkest africa presumably yeah. where genuina is the priestess of a tribe of africans even though like she's as like she's helena bonham carter like we were talking about this during the movie that like obviously tim burton saw cabinet of dr caligari and like Chesare is, you know, Johnny Depp, but, like, he must have seen this movie, too, because Genuina explains every Helena Bonham Carter role in a Tim Burton <laughs> movie. Anyway, so she's the priestess of this, like, African tribe. They get attacked by rivals. She gets captured and sold into slavery, and she gets sold into slavery to, like, the dude from the monopoly box mm-hmm. like he's an old man in a top hat and a morning coat and a cane who just shows up at like the slave market in like africa and is like show me her so he takes her back to his horrible mansion of terror and like throws her into like a fucking terrarium <laughs> with like plants and shit and like clothes her in like bizarro one-piece jumpsuits with feathers hanging off of them and is like Now you stay here and never leave because the outside world is bad and sexy women slaves should be seen and for display but not to interact with things. Okay, bye. And then he's old and got the shakes so a barber comes to his house every day to shave him and every time he's getting shaved he falls asleep. And one day the barber can't make it so he sends his young nephew, Florian, who's played by uh, our returning star from Caligari, Hans-Heinrich von Twardowski, Um
1: Who played Alan.
0: Yes, in Caligari. So he's playing Florian in this film. He's got the world's most... Everyone Everyone who has hair in this movie <laughs> has the world's most ridiculous hair. Like, Anime ev- hair. Everyone, or like Dr. Seuss character hair. They They look like, if you've ever seen... John R. Neal's illustrations for the Wizard of Oz books, everyone's got hair like they're the Gnome King. Like, (laughs) it's ridiculous. Anyway, so Florian's this young kid, and so he goes to the old man's house um, to shave him that day. And it also happens to be the day where Genuina has decided enough with this shit and breaks out of her terrarium. So because she's a vamp, like the stock character of a vamp, it turns out that she has hypnotic powers. She hypnotizes Florian into slitting the old man's throat with a razor and then they decide to be like lover buddies up in the master bedroom and she's like, you know what would really prove your love to me is if you killed yourself. And he's like, no. And so then she calls in, so this old man, he has a, he has like a staff of like black African like manservants. So she calls one of the men, and it's been established that, like, you can order them around if you're wearing the old man's ring, which, whatever. So she calls one of the men, and she's like, kill this dude and send me the proof. Meanwhile, the old man's grandson, Percy, which is the same name as the painter who fell asleep at the start of the movie, uh, he shows up for a visit, and Genuine is like, oh, I'm gonna try and seduce this guy, too, because seducing people is great she seduces him, he's obsessed with her, and she gets him to, like, write to a friend to come and visit and bring fancy dresses and clothes for her. So that happens, and she gets a knife out of the deal. And her and Percy and his gender-fluid friend Henry, like, start up just like a polyamorous sex group in the house. (laughs) Meanwhile, Florian, who we haven't seen since the manservant was told to kill him, is still alive and just, like, bedridden at, like, the barber's house. The barber being played by Scapinelli from Student of Prague, and he has ridiculous hair. So the barber's like, shit, my nephew's all gunked up because of this vamp woman at the old man's house. So he does what any good old man in a horror movie does and rounds up, like, an angry mob. And they run over to the mansion to take care of the switch. Straight up murder the black manservant the second they get there for little to no reason. And then it turns out that Florian somehow beat them there. So he's already here. And he runs into Genuina. And then she dies. And then everyone's sad for some reason. The end. Uh, Did I miss anything?
1: Yes. Okay, what is it? Okay. So that's... Ben's plot summary. My plot summary is Genuina is taken from home in the amorphous idea of what the Middle East looks like and is put into sex slavery. I wasn't sure what the old guy's name is so I thought we could call him Maximum Privilege.
0: (laughs) Max Uh, for short.
1: Max for short. So old man Max buys her and keeps her locked in this very German Expressionist basement
0: It should be said that everything in this movie is just, like, inexplicably German expressionist.
1: This basement especially, though. Like, Dr. Seuss German expressionist. Right. With, like, the weird tree that her, like, bondage outfit matched. Right. Anyways, yeah, Max is gross.
0: You, You say sex slavery, but, like... I, I never really got the impression that he was doing anything with her. It was more just like he kept her, like, obviously there's a sexual nature to it, but it seemed more like he kept her locked up for him to, like, look at, like, on display. Because, like, he's old and Viagra doesn't exist yet, right? And it's not till she gets, like, some younger men who she can directly... What I'm trying to say is I got the sense that the, the reason why she couldn't control the old man hypnotically the way she could the young man to, like, escape is that the old man's old, so, like, he can't get it up anymore.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know, Ben. (laughs) I'm pretty sure there's a title card that says something about slavery, and then like every other person who Oh, he definitely
0: calls her a slave.
1: Yeah, but I mean like at the marketplace, Mm. all of the other people who are there to be sold are women who are topless, Mm. so I'm guessing sex slavery.
0: Sure, sure. She certainly wasn't doing any work around the house.
1: Yes. Anyway, uh, his regular barber can't make it, as you said, and Florian, who I will be calling Alan, because that's who he played in Caligari, he comes to shave Max's face right when. Gen- genuine
0: Genuina. <laughs> you can just say genuine, too. Oh, but... uh,
1: okay. I'll just say genuine, because I seem to be having troubles with the German pronunciation. Uh, genuine escapes and hypnotizes Alan to kill Max. Sweet justice! <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I can understand. What they're getting at with, oh, the vamp will hypnotize you to do things that you normally wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure if she was like, dudes kept me locked in a dungeon for weird things and only given me bondage outfits to wear, (laughs) Alan would have been like, yeah, sure, I'll slit his throat, whatevs. Right? Like, let's let's go to the judge. Like, I don't know. What I'm trying to say is, like... He had it coming. He had it coming. Some Chicago references. Then after some sex romps... She tries to get him to kill himself, and he becomes emotionally distraught after all this. You're right that the manservant, I guess, does try to kill him, but I just kind of like, I guess made the mental leap between where we last saw him and then seeing him in bed with his uncle taking care of him as kind of like um, that character from Dracula who first... Renfield? No, he was played by Keanu Reeves. Harker. Harker. Yeah, I kind of took him to play in that role.
0: I don't understand.
1: So he he first encounters the vampire and then, like, is used by the vampire, escapes and shows up later as, like, a really sick person. Okay. Who helps construct the downfall of the vampire. Okay. I'm just saying that's how I was trying to make the mental leap to put together this very disjointed Mm -hmm. plot. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah, grandson Percy shows up. I'd forgotten about that beginning part with the dude falling asleep on the couch. In yeah, the I kept
0: waiting for that to, like, play back into the story, and then when, like, the grandson's name was Percy, I was like, ah, everything will make sense now. Boy, was I wrong. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Percy becomes the new fling, invites Henry over to, in the letter, which I didn't read it as genuine making Percy write this letter, because she's asleep, and... You know, he's just writing it as she's asleep.
0: Oh, she, I, I didn't know she'd think she was asleep. I, I, like, she does a lot of, like, lounging on beds in this movie, like, splayed out, all posed. Yeah. And I seem to recall it, like, he was writing the thing, and she, like, snapped her fingers at him or something and made a gesture, and then he was, like, writing the thing. And just the fact that the letter was, like, bring sweet shit for this girl made it seem like he was, it was under her command.
1: Well, what struck me with the letter, it it says, like, so personal, Dear friend, (laughs) I am very happy. I would like to share this happiness, come over and bring dresses and stuff. Right. Uh, And it's like, yeah, that share that's like, what? (laughs) And then Henry shows up and is very, uh, a very effeminate man?
0: Or a very masculine woman.
1: Yeah, so I'm just going to headcanon Henry as a trans man um, because he had all of these dresses lying around that he could donate for genuine to get her out of these bondage crazy outfits.
0: (laughs) Out of the one-piece patterned (laughs) camouflage jumpsuits that she was wearing to blend in with her terrarium.
1: (laughs) Like a chameleon.
0: (laughs) With fucking giant... (laughs) Feathers fucking glued to the sides of it.
1: Oh, my God. Like she was a
0: peacock.
1: To get her some real clothes. Yes. None of this, like, costume stuff. (laughs) And then Genuine starts to, like, do the whole, like, oh, Percy, show me how much you love me by killing yourself.
0: Oh, that's right.
1: And Percy's all upset about it and tells Henry, and Henry's like, what the fuck? Goes to Genuine. I
0: forgot this whole bit.
1: And... He's like, genuine. Percy's dead. And she, like, reacts in a way that I couldn't tell what her emotion was, but just erratic reactions. And then he's like, I lied, Percy's alive. And she reacts again in, like, the same way. (laughs) And then the next shot is genuine on one side of Henry, Percy on the other. And they're, like, holding hands or something.
0: Right, they're all going to go off to be a weird, nonconformist family.
1: Cool, polyamory. (laughs) This is great. No wonder Percy sent this letter to Henry, like, let's share in the happiness, right? And then Alan has to come fuck it all up, or rather, I guess, his uncle, the barber. But anyways, they break into the house and kill Genuine, who they, they call a witch. So I, I think our plot summaries were pretty similar. Um, yeah, I
0: I, for, I feel like I might have skipped over all that Percy Henry stuff because it didn't go anywhere. But there's a lot of stuff in this movie that doesn't go anywhere. There's a whole thing about how the reason Florian has to go and sub in for his uncle is because the uncle's being brought before a judge for an inquiry because the townspeople are suspicious of why he goes to this dude's house every day. Yeah. And like that never goes anywhere. I mean you can tell when you watch this that
1: half the movie missing.
0: Yeah. I mean and it's not, it's weird though because like this is what was, like the movie was cut into this form for the American version. Like, this is the American release. So I did some research. Okay. Do you want to hear what the plot summary of the full version is? Yes. Okay. The renowned painter, Percy, appears to be going mad, a condition apparently caused by his horrific artwork. One day, a man enters Percy's house to purchase one of his paintings, a portrait of the mysterious woman known as Genuina. Percy, however, refuses to sell it. After the man leaves, Percy falls asleep near the painting in question, whose subject unexpectedly comes to life. Then we go into Percy's dream, where we learn that Genuino is the hypnotically gifted priestess of an ancient tribe sold as a slave to Lord Mellow, an elderly scientist who resides in a mansion filled with mirrors, skeletons, and bizarre architecture. So he's supposed to be an old scientist. Which, Okay. There Genuina is shut up in a secluded underground greenhouse containing otherworldly vegetation and Mello gets his face shaved every day by the barber, Giard. Percy is Mello's grandson and he's come to visit. The rest of this is fairly similar uh, where Giard can't make it one day so Florian the apprentice comes uh, who's his nephew. Uh, Genuina escapes from the greenhouse and hypnotically induces Florian to slash Mello's throat. Genuina and Florian commence a perverse affair in the master bedroom uh, Percy arrives at the mansion and finds himself immediately smitten with Genuina and she in turn like returns his affections she tries to get Florian to kill himself uh, which doesn't work uh, so she tries to get the manservant to do it but Florian escapes uh, after getting injured and gets back to his uncle's house and is bedridden Percy inviting Henry over and that whole thing. Henry is the only one who can, like, like, isn't affected hypnotically by Genuina. The deal with that whole sequence of him coming in and saying, like, he's dead, no he's not, is she's upset when she hears that he's dead. And then he's like, actually I lied, he's alive, and she's happy. And apparently what it is is she's redeemed because her love for Percy turns out to be genuine, as opposed to the like hypnotic "I'm going to make you do evil things for my benefit" thing that she had with Florian. Oh. Uh, so that redeems her. They decide that they're all going to leave the house. That's when the townspeople show up. They storm the mansion. Florian goes mad and kills Genuina. So he kills her, mm-hmm. which was not clear in the version that we saw, as far as I could tell. Yeah. Um, then we flash back to Percy asleep in his house. The proceeding has apparently been a nightmare or flashback for Percy, uh, and it inspires Percy to go and try to deface his painting of Genuina, but he can't bring himself to do it, so he finally sells it. Okay. So that's, that's the full stuff.
1: Would have been a better movie?
0: It would have made a lot more sense, that's for sure. Aside from the fact that the story was hard to follow because of its truncated nature, like, what were your thoughts on the rest of this film? I mean, as a follow-up to Caligari, for example.
1: Definitely a disappointment uh, compared to Caligari. We, we talked about this in Caligari, how the main character is the set. Right. Right. In this, it's like, hardly there. Um, maybe it was part of the restoration, but... When you're out in the town, outside of the mansion, the Expressionist painting on the walls and attempts to use white paint for lighting and stuff, it's there, but it's really hard to make out. The house itself kind of has it. In like the big, grand entry hall, you get a feel for it, especially in the dude's office and definitely in the uh, basement terrarium. But otherwise, it wasn't really there. I kept thinking about who's subjective
0: view of reality this is supposed to be.
1: Yeah, if it's supposed to be a, a dream.
0: It's Percy's dream in the full version.
1: I suppose you could piece that together with this one, because it seems like the dude falls asleep.
0: Yeah, we just never came back to it at the end of the movie, which, like, if you're gonna cut the end of the movie where we come back, why would you keep the start where he falls asleep? Like, that's such a confusing decision.
1: Yeah. The other thing I was thinking is if it's Max's... like Lord Mellow? Which is better, Lord Mellow <laughs> or Max?
0: Max privilege?
1: Yeah. I'm going to say Max. Okay. The German Expressionist setting and mise-en-scene was so clear in the mansion, but it got less so as you got out into the town. It was as if the mansion itself was permeating the town.
0: And that would sort of fit the fact that the, the subtitle of the film is Tragedy of a Strange House. Yeah. And there's the whole thing where, like, the like, non-gender conformist family unit at the end of the film decides <laughs> that we have to get out of this house, as if there's something weird about the house causing everyone to be crazy, which...
1: Yeah, but then, like, when we were at the barber's house it was pretty expressionist there. When we see the barber go to the judge to be like, we need to make a, a mob to go get this witch, it was pretty expressionist there.
0: Yeah, and like everybody's hairstyles and costume styles are pretty in that over-the-top expressionist vein, too.
1: Yeah, so, um, and a lot of that happens after Max is killed, right? That's true. So
0: it, it really feels like a very transparent attempt to, to cash, cash in. in. Yeah. Um, and it's ironic because Caligari sets and costumes were done by filmmakers, uh, like people in the film industry, who were inspired by expressionist art. This film's stuff was done by an actual expressionist painter, and this film is the one that feels like it's trying too hard. One of the problems is like that the the appearance of the film doesn't dovetail with the themes as nicely as it did in Caligari. Mm. Like, everything in Caligari was about being dark and moody and stark and, you know, fear and nightmare and madness, these sets just sort of come off as very busy and yeah. flamboyant. You know, in Caligari, the visuals and the performances complemented the story, and here they just sort of serve to dress it up. Like, this is a very thin vamp story. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, exotic woman wants revenge on man manipulates men to do her bidding and commit murders and do horrible things is redeemed and then is killed the end and all of the bizarre costumes and bizarre sets with like weird paint on the walls and junk is just visually dressing it up in my opinion.
1: Yeah I, I have to say I did like Genuine's bondage outfit um, that we get like the most clear view when she's in the painting at the beginning right. and then also when she escapes the terrarium mm-hmm. because it has kind of like these straps as if they stockings down her legs and on her arms. I thought that was really neat especially because when she's in it she's climbing this striped tree right so it was hard to sometimes she would blend into the tree yeah in neat ways it,
0: I will say that probably the biggest tonal change from Caligari is this is a very erotic film mm-hmm. like like Genuina really she does have a strong eroticism to her and her you know movements and her costumes and her whole shtick the thing I wonder is like this film really feels like it's playing into expressionism as a Trend Because, like, I don't see the alienation. I don't see the neuroses. I don't see the anti-authoritarianism. I mean, other than, like, oh, this old rich white guy bought this woman for slavery and she killed him. Like, I guess that's... But then, like, that's that's over and done with after the first act, right? And the rest of the movie, like, it's still a horror film. But, like, this is a movie where the woman is the monster, right? And yeah. it's all about the fear of being manipulated by a sexually independent woman which is what the vamp character is all about as a stock archetype and even by 1920 like the vamp character was kind of cliche the vamp character was a huge archetype in the 1910s in film and in theater and Mm -hmm. you know dime novels or whatever but by 1920 like that stuff was starting to get a little bit played out do we want to talk about in a little bit more depth the like cultural history of fear of women's sexuality Oh, boy. And how it relates to this movie?
1: So, these are all assuming heterosexuality and the gender binary, but you have three female tropes. The crone, the pure virgin, and the monster. Uh, The pure virgin is what's considered women should strive towards, you know? Uh, The untouched woman put on a pedestal. She's very passive, shy, in need of protection, uh, etc. The crone is kind of like the spinster. Uh, She's either failed in the endeavor to get laid, or she purposely doesn't want men. Uh, So she's old, alone, sad, often a witch, that kind of deal. Kind of like the witch in Snow White, or even Ursula in The Little Mermaid. Okay. She's jealous of young, pure women, uh, because she herself is considered used up and withered, and she wants revenge against men. Then there's the monster, Uh, she's where the vamp would come in, Uh, she's a predator going after you or your man. Um, She has agency and purpose, her goal is to lure your man away, Um, the guy who is considered passive in this situation um, is the victim and she's the villain. Always the emphasis is on her looks, she's supposed to be vain because beauty is where her power comes from contrast that to the pure virgin uh, if she has power it comes from her purity she's there to save men and teach men to be better while the monster takes advantage of men and leads them to their doom
0: yeah and you see like those three different characters repeat through pretty much like any classic literature or fable or
1: story through everything <laughs> so keeping in mind all of this is looking at tropes without a racial lens Uh, White women are often culturally stereotyped to be the pure virgin in need of protection, while women of color, notably black women, Latinx women, Middle Eastern women, they tend to be stereotyped as exotic and therefore sexualized. Um, Men of color are sexualized like this too. So like when um, the, uh, I guess, person who originally stole Genuine from her tribe and he's trying to Upsell her to <laughs> Max. He's like, "Yeah, she's really beautiful, but she was corrupted by her tribe." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like,
0: Ugh. "What does that mean?"
1: <laughs> yeah, and he goes on to say how uh, aggressive and uh, violent she is. Mm. That seems to be a way of explaining how this otherwise white, white passing woman is uh, is so sexually aggressive, and like all of this is so gross uh as much as there's sexism in this movie the basic premise is so steeped in racism as well everyone besides uh Jenny Wine and max in this setting and in the tribe setting are like i can't tell if they're actual people of color or if they just have like
0: blackface on certainly like mello's main servant in the main part of the story was actually um a, black, a, a black actor. He was a black German actor from Cameroon named Louis Brody. Cool. Yeah. Um, Cameroon was a, a German colony in Africa at the time. Yeah. There's certainly like a lot of questionable cultural stuff going on here. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a narrative of you know providing her with an exoticism, you know. It, it's about giving her the sexual aggressiveness and exoticism of you know these far off lands, but she's still. Played by you know a a white German actress mm-hmm. um, so that she can still be sort of conventionally attractive i guess to the to the contemporary audience yeah and i mean it's 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 a it's a weird movie in that from from watching it like i I don't know how an audience in nineteen twenty would have reacted, but watching it today in twenty seventeen like she's a sympathetic character where it's like oh, you've been captured and ripped from your cultural surroundings and then sold into slavery and then put by this weird dude in a gilded cage like and then you escaped so like you're kind of on her side and then all of a sudden the movie's like oh actually sorry she's the villain and she starts you know hypnotizing florian into committing murder and and he's not into it like there's not it's it's weird like the movie doesn't play it as like Oh, yeah, like, I'll do whatever you say, baby. Like, Florian's horrified, what, but he's still doing it, like, clearly yeah. against his own will. So it's clear that her power is, is supernatural and this sort of thing. And, and, yeah, she's portrayed as being extremely capricious and materialistic and, uh, you know, self-centered and, and all these sorts of things. Like, she is portrayed as being a monster <clears throat> when the first part of the film has her very sympathetic, so it it makes me wonder if an audience in 1920 was supposed to go like, oh yeah, she's a dangerous animal from darkest, you know, uh, parts of the continent, like, you gotta keep her locked up, like, if they would have been on that side? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know. So the barber freaks out when Florian is, you know, he's in bed and he's healing up, um, but he seems to be feverish, and he yells out, I'm a murderer, I'm a murderer, And then that's when the barber kind of freaks out. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not so much, uh, oh, let's go round up a mob because my nephew's been attacked or is ill after whatever happened at the house. It's, I'm a murderer. And then he runs to the judge not to be like, hey, my nephew murdered someone, but to be like, "Uh, my nephew is under a spell by a witch.
0: Right, yeah. So there's definitely that kind of blaming women for what, like, and that's, I mean, what the vamp is, right? It's, yeah. it's, about, it's about blaming women for things that men do because it's all about, oh, yeah, that sexy lady over there, she hypnotized me into killing this guy.
1: Yeah, part of the reason why it's really hard to, like, delve into the history of blaming women for whatever men happen to do is that history is so steeped in every facet, it seems, of Western culture. Mm -hmm. Um, All bad things happen because of women. Um, So Eve, in the Bible, uh, made mankind fall out of paradise. The whole thing with Eve, too, is that uh, sin exists because women fuck things up for everyone.
0: Yeah, it's like the, the, the foundational idea behind a lot of Western culture comes from the Genesis story, or even if you go before... That, you know, back to Greek myth where sin exists in the world because Pandora opened Pandora's box. So it's, it's always a woman's fault.
1: Yeah, and you see this continue with uh, witches in the Malleus Maleficarum, uh, which they used to hunt so-called witches uh, during medieval times. And, like, while men were targeted to it, it was still a large-scale gendered violence towards women mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and so anytime a woman has power... Uh, it's always related to, uh, oh, it's because she seduced me to make me do these things. You're not responsible for your actions for, like, let's say, cheating on your wife because not nah, this lady took you away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's her fault. Uh, it's, uh, to use a contemporary example, maybe, uh, with Beyonce's Lemonade, it's Becky with a good hair's fault for Jay-Z cheating, not Jay-Z.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. <sighs>
1: Uh, So the thing is, this whole pure virgin, monster, and crone tropes sometimes have different labels.
0: Yeah, um, like I haven't really heard one of those called monster before. The way I've heard those labeled is maiden, crone, and whore.
1: Yeah, uh, so the reason I think of monster is because of this article from the 70s called Monster in the Attic. Sorry, it's called the Madwoman in the Attic. Uh, it comes from this late 70s essay uh, by Susan Gubar and Sandra Gilbert uh, talking about literary criticism, and it's kind of uh, like taken as a hallmark of second-wave feminist criti- criticism. So it's really just about uh, all these female characters from specifically 19th century literature. Uh, there was this common trope of women are either an angel or a monster. So there's that pure virgin versus uh monster. Um so women in fiction are either pure and submissive or sensual, rebellious, and uncontrollable.
0: Right, so you're either Jane Eyre or your uh dude's crazy wife in the attic.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I, I think the mad woman in the attic could be used for this, only it's mad woman in the basement. Right,
0: sure. Genuina like is a lot of different bad female character tropes like rolled into one, right? Because yeah. she's she's the like innocent native girl almost, like who, you know, she's the nature girl who you've got like on display as if in a zoo. Yeah. And then she like escapes from there and becomes the like evil psycho killer, except she never kills anyone. It's it, She's the evil psycho woman who like, convinces men to kill for her and then like the power of love redeems her or whatever and now she's innocent again but so just in time for her to be killed so that she can be like like a martyr like it's she's all over the map
1: not maybe not so much a martyr but a lesson to not be sexual right right like don't don't be like her right yeah I think the reason why I was like oh cool hypnotizing Alan to kill Max and, like, sweet justice is because she's using the patriarchy to kill patriarchy, right? Well,
0: and at that point in the film, she's still kind of sympathetic, too. Like, you've just seen her escape from this prison, and, like, Lord Mello's a terrible... Like, he's a caricature of, like, an old, rich white man. Like, he's wears a top hat and, like, a morning <laughs> coat. And, like, he just... I'm not joking when I call him, like, the dude from the Monopoly game. Like... Yeah. So, you know, at that point you're still on her side and then it's after that where she's like hanging around in like nice dresses in the bedroom, lounged out on the bed like ordering people to do stuff for her and like with the crazy look in her eyes that you're like, oh, I see where this is going. Yeah. The reason I wanted to sort of talk about all this like feminist critique stuff is that this is the first time we've run into this, you know, fear of the sexual woman yeah, thing. and I think we're gonna
1: gonna come up a lot.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and it's like yeah, the, it's this idea that you know if if a woman has the sexual power in a relationship, then like you're under her sway. Yeah, you know, and you're un- you can't be trusted to anything that you're doing might not be, you know, what you intended to do or whatever. Like your your choices aren't your own, or I don't know. It's it's a lot of garbage. Yeah. Okay, so we're looking at ranking Genuina, so the obvious touchstone to touch base with at first is Caligari, because that's what it was meant to be, like, a companion piece to. It's obviously not as good.
1: Yeah, what, what's Caligari at, like, number one? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I can positively say that this goes underneath it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, underneath Caligari is Student of Prague, and I would say that this goes beneath that. For sure. Below Student of Prague is Eerie Tales. Below. Sealed Room?
1: Uh, well, what's, what's the horror in Genuine? Sexy women. Sexy women, um, losing control of your senses because of this person. Yeah. And I think it also, like, it has the survivor at the end, Alan, having, like, survived from this horrible experience.
0: Yeah, the horror of Sealed Room is suffocating to death slowly.
1: Yeah, and and sharing in the horror of seeing that.
0: Yeah, and the horror of Genuine is, uh... Like, bitches be crazy. Yeah. So. <laughs>
1: um, I think even just looking at the two female characters, uh, the wife in Sealed Room and Genuine, uh, Genuine is probably, as much as she's tropey, she would be more complex than the woman in Sealed Room.
0: Okay, yeah. Because so. the woman in Sealed Room is a D.W. Griffith character. It's <laughs> just a one-note cardboard standee.
1: Yeah, she's like, Yeah, I love you, husband. Oh, hello, musician in our court. I will totally have an affair with you. Uh-huh. Whereas genuine is, uh, I see motivations for personal revenge in mm-hmm. her. Sure. Uh, as much as I see the imposed, <laughs> imposed narrative of scary woman. Sure. So I would put this above Sealed Room, is okay. what I'm getting at.
0: Okay. That would also make it better than Frankenstein. And it would also make it better than last week's film, which was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You cool with that? Because the other thing that, like, I'm wondering about is the, like, are we giving Genovina like, some slack because we saw, like, a, a truncated version? Because, like, watching the movie, I was like, what is this nonsense? Most of the film. But yeah. are we kind of, like, giving it an allowance for that?
1: I mean, I think I am, mm-hmm. especially after hearing the full version uh, plot synopsis that you provided.
0: Would you, would you rather watch this again or last week's film, the John Barrymore, Jekyll and Hyde again?
1: Oh, that's not a fair question because this is like 45 minutes. <laughs> John Barrymore, you know, he gives a valiant performance, but that movie just goes on and on. As much as this movie was like, I don't know what's going on, uh, I could at least look forward to the fact that it was only, like, I only had like five minutes left.
0: That's true. This movie does, like, keep... Keep you going. Keep things going. That's true. So you're still thinking it's better than Sealed Room then?
1: Yeah. Um, I guess... So part of the reason why we have Frankenstein so high is because of the special effects. And because it was a pretty good adaptation. To look at them both as monster movies... And running away from the monster.
0: In Frankenstein, we threatened women. And in Genuina, the threat is women. Yeah. Which, which, okay. <laughs> from a feminist perspective,
1: oh, which
0: is worse? Woman as monster or woman as damsel in distress to uh, be threatened by monster?
1: A woman as monster has agency at the very least. Okay. Uh, versus being a passive, like, it's kind of the, the sexy lamp Test, right. right. If your main female character can be replaced with a sexy lamp that just gets stolen from place to place, that character has no agency and like can just be replaced by the sexy lamp. So Fair
0: enough. I suppose that means that yeah, Genoena is not a sexy lamp at the very least.
1: Yeah. I mean I think that's why so many audience members flock to women who are the villain, right? Like Right, because we- like
0: Maleficent might be evil, but at least she gets to do something in that frickin' movie as exactly. opposed to has sleeping. Power. Right, as opposed to Sleeping Beauty, the titular character who spends the whole movie snoring.
1: Exactly. Mm. Um, you have power, you have agency, uh, you can fight the patriarchy with the patriarchy as Genuine did in this movie.
0: Alright, well, um
1: Are you okay with it going above Sealed Room? Oh yeah,
0: room? I'm okay with anything going above Sealed Room. That's fine. Um <laughs> I mean, I still think this movie was a failure as terms of following up Dr. Caligari. I think this oh, movie sure. felt like a cheap cash-in. I think that even if we were to watch the full-length version of this movie, it's a very thin story. I think that as a horror movie, you know, its idea of what's scary is a garbage one, and that I, I'm not interested in seeing. Uh, I don't really like anything about this movie, but I think it it's probably better than Sealed Room, yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so, entering the list at number four is Genuina from 1920 by Robert Vina. Excellent. Next week's movie, also from Germany, also from 1920, is Der Golem, wie er in die Welt kam, directed by and starring Paul Wegener. Excellent. Uh, and we've, we've both seen this one.
1: Yeah. It's great. Uh, I'm sure we will have a lot of interesting things to say about whether it's a horror movie or not.
0: Yes, I'm sure that's going to be the main topic of discussion. (laughs) Uh, It's one of those films that's popularly regarded as such, but I don't
1: know if it is. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, You can find Scream Scene on iTunes. And we'd love it if you would subscribe and, and leave us a review. Uh, we'd love to hear what you think of the show. You can find episodes on SoundCloud as well. You can find us on Twitter as at underscore ScreamScene. And you can find our episodes and the list in question at ScreamScenePodcast.tumblr.com. At the Tumblr page, you can submit an appeal if you really think that Genuine should be next to Caligari. If you're really wanting that, uh, send an appeal through our Ask box. Um, you can also email us at screamscenepodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, guys. Um, we'll see you next time, creatures of the night. Bye. Bye.